A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard. It can move anywhere. Maven, concentrate on sin. Give priority to the detectors and the navigation systems. There is a corridor. And the corridor is time. It surrounds all things. On display, I eventually had to go down to the cellar. That's the display department. With a torch. The lights probably gone. So had the stairs. You are just number six. I am not a number. I am a person. Welcome to British Invaders, episode 387. This is the podcast all about British science fiction television, and this time we are talking about Hogfather. This is Brian from Canada. And this is Eamon from England. Hello. Once again, we are starting the year with a Terry Pratchett adaptation, and this time it is the Sky One production of Hogfather from 2006. And this is a two-part production, two 90-minute episodes, and it is a typical Pratchett Discworld television show. It is indeed. A fantasy world set in, and as you say, some zany, sort of absurd action from Terry Pratchett with, yet again, we get to say a great cast, I think, Brian. Absolutely. We've been fortunate to talk about lots of shows with good casting recently. So let's get to the setup of Hogfather. On the Discworld of Ankh-Morpork, people are getting ready for the Midwinter Festival of Hogswatch. But a group of strange celestial bureaucrats have taken an interest in some, shall we say, mythical beings and have taken out a contract on the red-robed figure of the Hogfather of the title. Yes, indeed. And an assassin sets out on this complex and rather convoluted mission to stop people believing in this mythical figure, which will then make that mythical figure no longer exist. And with the Hogfather missing, at least for this time, who can fill that seasonal role of delivering gifts for Hogswatch? Who indeed? Yes, and being Discworld, of course, the figure who steps into that role is none other than Death. And we have a Grim Reaper-like figure who is Death, Stepping up into the role to try to continue Hogswatch while Death's granddaughter also has to step to the fore to try to save Hogswatch. Yes, if you're going to have somebody step into the shoes of the Hogfather, the you know the hooded figure of Death seems an unlikely character. But um, if you're familiar with the Pratchett source material, you'll know that it's a regular and recurring character in the books. And of course, if you haven't spotted it, we could almost have done this show last month, Brian, because Hogwatch is clearly a stand-in for the Christmas festival with the Hogfather, the jolly red-robed figure who goes around giving out presents to children at Hogswatch time. Yes, so we have Santa Claus or Father Christmas being under threat here. And yes, being uh, the kind of humour that Terry Pratchett brings to things... Of course you have a character like Death who steps into things. Speaking of characters, we should talk about those. Well, of course, as you say, very central to this production is the character of Death. 
with the Dutch actor Marnix van der Brock in the imposing costume. But I think more importantly for us, Brian, it's the voice of Ian Richardson as the voice of death. The anthropomorphic personification of death in the Discworld uh, setting, as you've said, Brian, he's tall, he's robed, he's hooded, he's got a skull-like face, the glowing blue eyes, and the terrific voice of Ian Richardson. Yes, and we get quite the imposing uh, figure there, which works quite well in this. Albert, played by David Jason, who we remember from shows like Danger Mouse and Ghost Boat. He's done a tremendous number of things on British television. But Albert is Death's servant and the sort of comedy sidekick for him with his helpful knowledge of the customs of Hogswatch and so on. And great fun, obviously, Albert perpetually seeming to try to wanting to roll a cigarette it seems which is forever been extinguished by the winds or uh, and so on but yeah david jason having lots of fun in a pratchett production yeah and albert was sort of a different character in a way in the books he was a wizard who cast a spell to make death his servant and of course that spell went terribly wrong yes <laughs> the reverse consequences naturally now another sort of character connected to death is his granddaughter as susan stowe hellett uh, played by Michelle Dockery, who's done lots of stuff, but you're probably best known for doing Downton Abbey. And she is his adopted granddaughter. She works as a governess for a rich family's children. She has quite a distinctive look, the black streak in her otherwise all-white hair. And she's a very smart and very determined young woman who has one or two, shall we say, supernatural abilities which she seems to have inherited or acquired from her grandfather somehow. And she will be sort of central to the hunt for the assassin who's on the trail of Hogfather. Yes, in some respects, she is the main character here. Mr. Tea Time, or perhaps Mr. Teatime, depending how you pronounce that, played by Mark Warren, is the assassin sent to kill the Hogsfather. And also a distinctive figure with a black glass eye and his other eye being almost all white. So quite striking and this very strange character in here. Yes, always insisting that it's pronounced Teatime to uh, anybody who tries to call him Tea Time. And with a distinctive voice of his own as well. Speaking of distinctive voices... Well, yes, we'll just mention it's not a big role, but of course, in the world of Discworld, there is an Assassin's Guild, and it's they who get the contract to uh, basically eliminate the Hogfather. And it is Lord Downey, the leader of the, or the head of the Assassin's Guild, who assigns Mr. Teotime to uh, this task. And he is played briefly, but always memorably, by David Warner. Great to see him on our screens again. He's always such a lovely presence and so such a great actor, Brian. And of course, I can't mention David Warner without mentioning your discussion with him about Shakespeare at the Irish Sea when you met him at one of the big finish days. Oh, yes, of course. That was lovely. But you also have with David Warner, without a lot of screen time, he can make a lot of it and make a memorable 
part of this show, which is important because he fits in in, the, in an important position. Indeed he does. And that's only sort of part of the great cast we've got. You know, there's some other well-known, I suppose, an almost Terry Pratchett friends and associates turning up at various points as well, which we'll get to in a moment. Now, Mr. Tia Timé's plan is complicated. This story deals with as well as a sort of allegory for Christmas and Santa Claus, but it also deals with the power of beliefs. And Mr. Tiatime takes his profession as an assassin very seriously, so much so that he has already researched and devised plans as to how he would go about killing or eliminating certain mythical figures of Discworld, I think, Brian. Yes, that's right. And he needs to recruit a sort of gang of people to break into the Tooth Fairy's castle and use the teeth that are there to destroy the children's belief in the Hogfather. So these teeth apparently provide a link back to the children that can be used to control what they believe in. And if they no longer believe in the Hogfather, then he will cease to exist. Indeed, and this seems to have some sort of effect already because he's missing... Yes, absolutely. And death can't interfere with the Tooth Fairy's realm. So we end up with this scenario where he has to dress up as the Hogfather and appear at various events to give out presents with Albert, of course, assisting. Yes, he's determined to sort of keep the idea of the Hogfather going, to keep the belief in the Hogfather going. Um, There's a sort of, I suppose, almost a battle for the beliefs uh, of Discworld going on. And, you know, Mr. Tiatime's plan is sort of convoluted there's difficulties getting access to the tooth fairy's realm and then once there there are certain rules that stop other mythical beings from interfering there so there's a lot left to susan his adopted granddaughter to get on the trail of this gang and try and stop them and in some way restore the hogfather it's there's some complicated craziness going on we should say brian there is and death is sort of kept busy keeping things going with the belief of all the children for now and keeping uh pogs watch happening this year where susan is sort of left to solve the real problems and uh, prevent the assassination and to have things go forward as normal. And there's a great deal of comic fun, of course, and the sort of irony of having death appearing as the Hogfather. And uh, his choice of what he believes to be appropriate presence for children is sometimes interesting as well. Oh, yes, absolutely. So we should get into our production notes. Yes. So Terry Pratchett, obviously, we discussed at some length and his Discworld series of novels in British Invaders 333 and 334 when we covered The Colour of Magic. In the Discworld series, Hogfather is the 20th novel and was published in 1996, was that when it came out, so 10 years before this production. That's right, and this was the first 
live action adaptation of a Discworld novel. Cosgrove Hall had already produced three animated shows by that point in the 90s. Those were Welcome to Discworld, Soul Music, and Weird Sisters, which have been released on DVD, but I'm not sure if they're still available at this point. Only in the second-hand markets, I think, over here at the moment, Brian. Uh, it would be nice to see those get a re-release at some point. Mm. So Hogfather was commissioned by Sky Television from the Mob production company. And developed for TV by Vadim Jean, who we would also encounter because he would go on to direct and write The uh, the Colour of Magic. And he wrote the screenplay with Terry Pratchett, although Terry Pratchett, of course, in his inimical, whimsical style, described his own contributions as mucking about with. And I think that's how his credit appears on screen as well, Brian. Yes, and I think they kept that for The Colour of Magic as well. And we should say there's a couple of other notables from the sort of allied professions to the Discworld novels involved in the production team. So storyboards were designed by Stephen Briggs, who's well known for his artwork for various games and companion works that he's done. He's also, interestingly, he's actually adapted some Discworld novels for the stage himself. So, you know, he was doing the storyboards here, but obviously quite involved with Terry Pratchett and with his works. Yes, he had done quite a bit of Discworld artwork by this point, I believe. They also had some help in designing the look of the city of Ankh-Morpork from noted sculptor Bernard Pearson, who is known for whimsical pottery and sculptures and had also done a lot of work based on the Discworld stories. And then the cast included veteran actor Joss Ackland, as well as several well-known Pratchett fans, including Nigel Planer and Tony Robinson who had done some audiobook recordings of the novels and some computer game voice work as well. And not too surprisingly, Terry Pratchett himself has a cameo as a toy shop proprietor, and apparently that caused some issues at customs because he had his luggage containing some large plastic teeth being used for uh, props for the tooth fairy so uh, interesting oddities happening there yeah a little terry pratchett story there that he told himself about being stopped at customs with some of the teeth props from this show I think he said something about the, the he also had a box labelled death, which they didn't seem so interested in. They were more concerned about the teeth. Nice. Now, the voice of death, what a role. Christopher Lee had previously done it in the animated shows that you'd mentioned, Brian. There's another great voice. But here, Ian Richardson takes over the role of the voice of death. And they added a line specially for Ian Richardson. The line at one point where Death says, you may think I've already thought of that, but I could not possibly comment. And that's a direct reference to, I guess, Ian Richardson's most famous role, Brian? Yes, absolutely. That was uh, very close to the Francis Urquhart catchphrase from House of Cards. So that's the 1990 show, and I know you're a fan of that. It's gone on, of course, to 
influence or inspire the, I think, was it a Netflix series? Yes, Netflix did an adaptation of House of Cards as an American version based on American politics instead of British politics. That went for several seasons. But that British version from the 90s had three separate miniseries as well. And that was very successful and very good. And while we're talking about Ian Richardson, we occasionally uh, like to do a little, few little actor notes what a you know what an impressive career apart from Francis Urquhart he played Sherlock Holmes but he also I quite like the fact that he played Dr Joseph Bell the real life character the mentor of Arthur Conan Doyle whose deductive skills as a physician inspired Conan Doyle to create Sherlock Holmes we saw Ian Richardson in Gormenghast and the one of the interesting things about him is he seems to have been a universally loved actor and person who you can't find anybody to say a bad thing about working with him. He sounds like he was a delight on whatever production he was on. Well known for mentoring younger actors, people like Helen Mirren. And, you know, tragically died in his sleep, age 72, the year after this production, 2007. This was one of his last roles. And there's some clips on the making of documentary of him in the recording studio doing the voice and clearly having a great time, Brian. And he does a memorable role as the voice of death. Yes, he was always very good. Great actor. And it was certainly lovely to have him in uh, in this production of the Pratchett productions we've looked at this is the largest and most intricate role for death that any of them has had and it was great to have him taking that on and he did a great job with it so coming back to this production of Hogfather, filming took place in 2005 with Sutton House, a Tudor house in Hackney, being used for both interiors and exteriors of the University of Ankh-Mor Park. There was some CGI, some computer graphics created by the Motion Picture Company, and the music for the production was written by David Hughes. And I would guess the sort of fairly long time from you know shooting in early 2005 to broadcast at Christmas 2006 may have been to do some of the CGI work and the effects for it but I guess also possibly you know maybe even just recording Ian Richardson's part which was obviously done separately. Yes and it was a big production so there would have been a lot of editing and post-production work that would have to happen on it. And interestingly it got a cinema premiere for the first episode which was shown at a Mayfair cinema in November 2006 before it showed up on TV. Interesting. Hogfather was broadcast in two parts on Sky One on December 17th and 18th of 2006. It was also repeated on Christmas Day and Boxing Day of the same year. So, Hogfather availability here in Region 2, nice and straightforward. The DVD is only £8. As well as the two episodes, you're going to get three deleted scenes, a whole bunch of short featurettes about the world of Ankh-Mor Pork, and the documentary, The Making of uh, Hogfather, which was actually broadcast on Sky One as a sort of teaser, I think a week before the episodes aired. And I also note that at the same time, Sky One changed their sort of interval branding to Happy Hogs Watch instead of Happy Christmas for a while, sort of trailers for this show. 
And you can get that also on Blu-ray here for a tenner. So, you know, it's quite cheap and easy to get hold of and still available if you've got Sky TV or a Now TV subscription. You can find it streaming on there as well, included as part of your package. So, fortunately, it's a nice easy one to get hold of and watch here, Brian. Very nice. In Region 1, there have been a number of DVD releases that are mostly out of print now, but worth noting, there is a Blu-ray double feature that includes both Hogfather and The Color of Magic for $35 US which is quite a nice package. It is also free to stream for Amazon Prime subscribers in both Canada and the US. And in the US, you can buy the streaming episodes on Amazon, if you're not on Prime, for $4. And it's on iTunes as well for a little more. I know in Canada it was $10 on iTunes. But it's available in some streaming formats and in that Blu-ray double feature package. Excellent stuff. Widely available. And the book is also widely available, still in print. Yes. I haven't actually read this one. I have read some of the Discworlds. I mean, some listeners will be wondering why I haven't read all of them. There are rather a lot of them. There are a lot. It is a big series to consider, yes. So, that will do us for our first episode. Come back next time. We've got some more elements of the plot to get to. In particular... There's a subplot involving the Wizards of the Unseen University, which we haven't even mentioned yet. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about some of the other Pratchett adaptations that we've watched or that we may get to in the future. Absolutely. Plus, we will give you our recommendations and tell you about what we thought about the series. Indeed. Lots to get to when we come back. For sure. Until then, you can find all of our episodes at BritishInvaders.com. Or if you search Facebook for British Invaders, you will find our discussion group there. And you can join in on some of the conversations. And as well, we are also on Twitter. If you look for at BritInvadersPod, you can find us there and tweet at us about this show or any of the things we cover yes come and give us a follow on twitter and also search for the voice of geeks network which you will find at vognetwork.com british invaders is a proud member of that network and you'll get uh, loads of geek related content at vognetwork.com absolutely so thank you for listening and this is brian from canada signing off yes thank you very much until next time Eamon in england also signing off 